It's often said that from great suffering comes great art. Well, Jeff Reichert, Will Meneker, and I suffered quite a bit while watching the documentaries directed by Steve Bannon. And I'm not saying that because we're lib snowflakes who can't handle an opposing view. It's because they're terribly made. You may know Steve Bannon as the White House chief strategist and Breitbart news propagandist, but once upon a time, he was an independent film producer for the likes of Sean Penn and Julie Taymor, and a documentarian. Bannon directed nine conservative-minded documentaries and produced several more. These movies, with titles like District of Corruption and Battle for America, lionize conservative politicians like Ronald Reagan and demonize Obama and liberal policies. Here's our conversation. Hello and welcome to the Film Comet Podcast. My name is Violet Luca. I am the digital producer and today I'm joined by... Jeff Reichert, filmmaker and film comment contributor. Will Meneker, uh, podcast guy and co-host of uh, Chapo Trap House. Yes. We've got quite a topic for you today. So um, in the Jan Feb issue with Marty Scorsese, a.k.a. Will's dad on the cover, we have... A wonderful feature by Jeff that's talking about the documentary films of Steve Bannon that were made under the Citizens United production company banner. Mm -hmm. Um, And as you'll remember, Citizens United... Supreme Court case that, you know, gutted campaign finance law, basically. And and the, the funny thing is, it was originally over a documentary specifically attacking Hillary Clinton. But Jeff, could you talk a little bit? Because you've seen, like, I've seen, like three mm-hmm, or four mm-hmm. i mean i didn't watch a few of them all the way through because they're really awful but could you you've seen them all sure you're yes, a I have. bannon completist i am a bannon completist. could you talk about um sort of summarize his general aesthetic strategies and then maybe we can go into the films a little deeper sure sure i mean his general aesthetic strategy um and he's actually described it in an interview as just being um a kind of like a kinetic in your face pummeling Mm-hmm. Um, Breitbart, the not sadly deceased Andrew Breitbart, he referred to Steve Bannon as the Lenny Riefenstahl of the alt-right movement, which is not, I mean, it's sort of like if Lenny Riefenstahl had no aesthetic sensibility, right. um, you know, no real kind of integrity in a certain sense. Like, you can agree and disagree. Well, you can just disagree with Lenny Riefenstahl's <laughs> politics. You shouldn't say I, you I agree, agree, actually. <laughs> I choose to agree. you can at least look at those films, and there's a reason why we still watch those films. Right. And we still talk about those films, but I don't... I can't see a reason why, you know, 20 years from now, anybody will look at any single one of Stephen Bannon's films and say, well, this is a, you know, this is something we need to be thinking about it in, in a kind of like an artistic sense or a political sense. Well, children, maybe they'll be a part of the curriculum by then. This well, is well, thanks God to willing. Steve Bannon, probably no one will be studying films or doing anything 20 years from now. <laughs> we'll just be sort of like fighting for clean water. But uh, I'm glad he made these movies while he still had the chance yeah. and we yes. could uh, enjoy them. Well, I hope it doesn't come to that. I mean, the one thing I, I feel like I did learn about Steve Bannon is... Um, you know, and it really made me a bit irate when I saw the the Time magazine cover about how he's like the great manipulator. Because if yeah. you see these movies and you kind of look at his track record over the years, you realize that he's a bit of a bozo. Totally. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, he's totally. a total bozo and a total clown. And the horses he bets on usually lose. Just thinking about the films, for instance, he makes a movie about Sarah Palin called right. The Undefeated in 2011, clearly thinking that like, or in 2010, sorry, clearly thinking that the, the, the 2012 is going to be the year 
that Sarah Palin is going to be set up to run for president. That didn't turn out so well. Next year, he follows up with Fire from the Heartland, The Rise of the Conservative Women, mm-hmm. um, which prominently features another also ran who left Congress in disgrace, Michelle Bachman. Right. I have to say, tangentially, I love the fact that in Fire from the Heartland, there's this part where sort of everyone's giving their origin story and talking about how hard scrabble their lives were. And Michelle Bachman talks about how she babysat for 50 cents an hour and over the course of three years saved up enough money to buy contact lenses and this is intercut with this story i'm not i'm not even kidding and then this is intercut with this story this other conservative woman's i think god now i can't remember her name but she was a crack baby and she's talking yes. about growing up in a foster care situation. And this is intercut with the fucking Michelle Bachman, I lost my contact lenses that I saved up three years to buy story. And it's like, as if these things are somehow remotely comparable. I but mean, there's no thought to the to, to right. that juxtaposition. And, right. and the thing about the films is that they move forward so fast and so relentlessly yes. that you're almost... You, I mean, it's part of why I feel that Trump has been kind of successful, right? Is there's there's always something new. He always says something crazy. It's like, wait, but what about the thing you said crazy five minutes ago? Because right. we're dealing with the thing that's crazy right now. And in the band of films, it's it's like that. Like in, mm-hmm. um, I, I can't remember if it's Battle for America or District of Corruption. They kind of blend together. But there's the sequence where it goes from like the Black Panthers to Solyndra to Acorn to Fast and Furious, like back to voting rights stuff as if these things were all kind of connected and one led directly into the other and just passes the stuff off. And if you're not paying attention and if you don't know anything, I'm sure it sounds real good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, uh, to to, to Jeff's point about, like, Bannon and, like, his style of filmmaking, is it one, like, you know, I remember reading about him where, you know, he said, he's like, I, you know, I've studied Lenny Riefenstahl and Eisenstein and, you know, like, I'm the, the propaganda film artist of the right. And, like, you know, thinking about that going into that, I was expecting maybe a little bit more flair to these movies, but uh, that's not the case at all. And I think the thing you have to keep in mind about someone like Bannon and the world of Washington, D.C. in general is when he says, like, you know, I've studied uh, Eisenstein or Lenny Riefenstahl, that means that he's just aware of their names. (laughs) And like, you know, like when people, oh, this guy's a genius, you know, he's like, in like in the world of D.C., if you can like, you know, prove that you've read a book, people are like, Wow, this guy's on to wow, this guy's on to so he's a Machiavellian genius. But at the same time, I mean, he is basically in charge of the country's policies right now. So right. it's a little it's a little hard to uh, laugh or continue to the you know portray him as a bozo, even though he cl- clearly is. And like you know, as you said, as Jeff, as you were saying, like the the relentless pace with which these movies go forward. I just feel like watching it as an outsider, it's 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 baffling, and you know the thing you know mo- to keep in most in mind about these movies is that they are soul rendingly boring yes but like if you're steeped in that world and like you are still angry that obama said 57 states or used a teleprompter then i think you'll really pick up on all of these cues because like it's every one of these bizarre and byzantine grievances gets aired like there's nothing left on the cutting room floor no. like every right. one of these grievances needs to be fully litigated you know at, at this like lightning pace yeah totally i mean in the hope and the change i mean i i feel like you know his films or at least the ones that i saw are kind of style they're minimally stylistically different and the hope and the change kind of feels like you're having an argument with someone who will not let you finish your sentence because it's always like a clip of obama starting to say something and then it ends and then it's a angry white person being like i have to work two jobs and it's like look 
you're really mad at capitalism and like Obama did not start capitalism. He, just like he did not start TARP, which is the, something that the film just totally runs with. He mm. merely administrated over it. So it's like these things, just like these nuances, like as if the president is responsible for food costs, as if the president is responsible for gas or just any of these things. And like there's this crazy, there's this crazy motif in The Hope and the Change where it's just like this really quick flash of people standing in front of their suburban homes and like it gets repeated like over and over and it's like you can't even tell what it is but it's like it it just like ramps up the energy in this weird way and just like again that like relentlessness that is like so crucial to what he does like i said like he makes a lot of use of like uh like in, in generation zero which is one of the ones i watched like he makes a lot of use of Obama and other Democratic politicians like saying things in sort of like deliberately degraded video clips. So yes. They look like yes. <laughs> that's more evil or whatever. Weird ways. And, yeah. uh, you know, like Obama will be saying like a completely anodyne statement like, oh, let me be clear. Uh, in the past, <laughs> sometimes America has not lived up to its uh, highest ideals. And then like, you know, like the, the video just gets like, you know, polarized and like <laughs> zooms in on his eyes or something. Yeah. And here's another thing I noticed. He, he does this thing with video clips that's similar to the, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Vic Berger. Yes. He does the like the like zeroing in on people's hands when they talk. Yes. And like going away from their face to look at their hands. And I just thought, I think he did that because I think he, he thinks it makes them look gay. <laughs> like they're sort of fey hand mannerisms when they're talking I, I, I really yes. think that's why he did it yes I'm sure because it's like that because like all throughout these it's like that thing where it's like Obama is this horrible tyrant who's also kind of fruity right yeah. like he's like a weak he wears the mom jeans he's always on vacation in Hawaii but he's a tyrant and we need to like depose him like what's really doing most of the heavy lifting in these movies is that they're they're pitched to an audience that is already you know, com- like I said, completely steeped in this worldview and yeah. like, knows every one of these beats and these grievances, and he's going to just ring it out for all it's worth. Mm-hmm. And they mm-hmm. know all the people too. I mean, that's the thing. You, you yeah. like you line up Ann Coulter and Lou Dobbs and Hans von Spakovsky and all oh these people, God. and yeah. they just like you know, it's it's like the 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 right wing fan club, which and it's so amazing to hear Steve Bannon in the wake of the election talk about economic populism, national populism, these kinds of questions. When you have your films populated people from the freaking American Enterprise Institute and the Cato Institute, these are not right, these are yeah. not these are not populist organizations. And, and, it's, also, <laughs> and it's also weird to, to to rewatch these now that Trump is president because I what, another thing that kind of shocked me is like how many of the people in, in that he featured as talking heads in these movies were the sort of like conservative like snobs mm-hmm. and like intellectual yes. class, like exactly the same people who when they thought there was no chance of Trump becoming president. We're like he's a disgrace. He is not a conservative. Mm-hmm. But then now that he is, is of course tripping over themselves to bend the knee to him yeah. at, at once. But like Arthur Brooks, uh, the head of the American Enterprise Institute, these guys from like the Hoover Institution and the New Criterion, uh, like yeah, like people who are considered the upper crust of like conservative snobbery and intellectuals. You know, like I said, Arthur Brooks is a guy who people like Ezra Klein. He like kisses his ass on his right. podcast all the time, and you know I, I don't know why, but I mean like <laughs> maybe he's read a book. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's written a book. Uh, oh, even better. But like <laughs> you know, like the, the effect of watching these movies is like, and like the Talking Heads segments of it is like intercut with like these. Okay, I'm gonna butcher the name of it, but what's like the Philip Glass documentary? Koyaniskotsky. Koyaniskotsky. It's like this knockoff Philip Glass music, and then like sped up footage, like sped up footage of like hundreds of people in suits rushing in and out of an office building or something <laughs> like that interspersed with like these talking heads that it's like Konieskatsky mm-hmm. but as an Amway sales presentation right and 
Imagine being lectured on the importance of individuality in the American spirit by 12 versions of the same fucking guy. Yeah, yeah it's all white yeah. guys in these movies, except <laughs> yes. for, well, there's always, you know, well, not in every film, but there is often a token person of color. Right. Like, I think it's in District of Corruption where they're, they are trying to talk about Acorn. So they pull out, like, the one black person in the three movies that he made this year to say, yeah, Acorn's real bad. I'm a black person. <laughs> I know. I know. I know what it's like. Yeah. Well, I mean, speaking of the people, the thing that struck me about the hope and the change, and this is true also of like Fire in the Heartland, is that most of the talking heads in the hope and the change are from Iowa, aka the first primary in the presidential election. So it's clearly sort of priming the pump where it's like, these people are just like you. These people are you. These people Mm -hmm. are your neighbors. But there are also people from other early primary or quote unquote battleground states like Ohio and Pennsylvania who are airing grievances and... It's just so. Well, it's 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 all so disingenuous. Yeah. In the way it's, it, you know yeah. the, the whole you sort of care. like um, <laughs> you know these are our neighbors. These are the, the this is real America. I mean, we all know that that is nonsense. Um, right. But the way it's presented in the films and, and the hope and the change was, you know, a centerpiece screening at the RNC right. in 2012. So it is pitched to those states and those peoples. So that way, you know, you're getting that message to them. It's like these these are these are the people who are just like you, but they're clearly plants. Right. Most of them. I mean, there's that one guy who like. Or they just who, don't finish what they're saying because it's yeah. like there could be nuance in what they what what they're saying because like these are legitimate grievances. Mm. Like the fact <laughs> you have to work two jobs, that's not good. No one is saying that like, oh yeah, fuck you just because you're white, mayo tears, whatever. Like it's yeah. like it's a legitimate thing to say this, but who's to say that's even that was they're they're mad at Obama for that? Right, and it's it's all it's all very disingenuously edited. Though I will say it's the one of the films where it does feel like he actually. Um, aside from the historical films, where it does feel like he actually did interviews as opposed to just bringing people on right. and letting them, you know, declaim whatever it is they want to have prepared mm-hmm. at the camera, it's the one that made me most depressed. Yes, I think because the other ones you can sort of laugh them off, and this is this is tomfoolery, this is knuckleheadedness, these are terrible. But that one, because you know, the, those folks that he's highlighted, you know, they are probably real to a certain extent. Yeah. You know, these are these are stories of their existences and their struggles, and I get that. But the way that they talk about their relationship to government. Yeah. made me so it just made me feel like why like why do we let everybody vote again <laughs> you know i mean i hate to say it but you know you go at you know the idea is we're supposed to vote we have a voice and we're supposed to like be civically engaged and learn stuff and understand how government works these people are just saying things like why well, just don't understand why the government can't sit down and balance its budget like a family of four it's like that's not a that's not a position you vote right. on like but, that's not a real thing but i will say that i think part of what well what this documentary does and i think what you know zooming in on the hands does besides intimating fruitiness is that you know it's showing the dance of the politician it shows what politics has become because it's built up it exists this weird beltway culture of what this idea of what people want and it's deconstructing that and it's like watching the hope and the change is like oh i see i kind of see how someone like donald trump who is absolutely the antithesis who is not smooth who is not steamrolling in like it it almost makes sense if this is what people feel if people feel so disconnected from their representatives like of course well i mean like that is the uh like the sort of interesting thing about propaganda is that like you know there's always an element of truth and like the what he Mm presents like the, the the portrayal that what he does in these movies is that he presents like at least you know like the financial meltdown for instance right. in 2008 like the the big you know crash of the economy in 2008 and like the ensuing bailout as sort of as products of a you know a corrupt political class that is beholden to 
financial elites like at the detriment to average everyday people which is right? accurate which is <laughs> totally right like like a, as like a basic statement i think almost anyone could agree with that especially yeah. you know and then if you don't have if you're not really interested in politics or you don't mm-hmm. really like you know have a like a ideology or like you know grounding to your beliefs like it's it would be easy to watch one of these movies and be like yeah like i agree with it because yeah. like it's just a question of like how you frame it like i mean like like i said both right and left could basically agree with that statement but like for instance in generation zero uh which is the one he made about uh, it starts with the the financial crisis right mm-hmm. and i found what was interesting about this is that you know bannon is not like a pure capitalist Right. You know what I mean? Like he he the, the, that movie is very it's very very critical of what he called like the sort of culture of the 1980s and 90s and what mm-hmm. they call casino. He calls casino capitalism yeah. and global elites. Just imagine the question mark around the uh, or the sorry the quotation marks around global. <laughs> at there that are point. three. <laughs> yes. Yeah, the three parentheses around there. <laughs> and you know I think what what, what he's doing is that in, in in that movie at least, which I found to be the the most disturbing of the ones I watched, was he, it's sort of like he's presenting an argument that's like, yes, you the average person. Like capitalism is not working for you, and like mm-hmm. there, there are these like tearful phone calls into C-SPAN where this woman is like, I, you know, I, I work two jobs and I can't afford, you know, groceries. Like, what are you doing for us? Like, you need to give money to the people or whatever. Yeah, and it's like, yeah, shit, I feel you. Exactly. But like, what, like, but what he's doing in the movie is that he's he's setting up the argument, and then like, and, and sort of subtly, but like definitely there, is that like it's not capitalism's fault; it's the culture's fault. Right. And like, like what what he's what he's doing is like you know capitalism worked great and it worked for everyone at a time in this country when there was basically the culture was completely homogeneous and it was mm-hmm. this kind of like stultifying sameness to everything and also like everything was undergirded by you know religious values and virtues, right? right? And he was saying that like blaming the counterculture of the 60s for unmooring America from these traditional virtues and values and ensuing emancipatory movements by, you know, women, uh, black people, mm-hmm. gay people, etc., like fractured that consensus and opened up this, you know, world of narcissism and me and mm-hmm. greed and taking and politics as serving not the interests of the average person well and it's interesting i mean it, it, that he makes that case and one of the things that i i talked a little about in the article and one of the things that kind of fascinated me about bannon was if you're steve bannon why do this why make these documentaries okay i can see recognition that the that fahrenheit 9 11 created a certain kind of awareness and certain kind of movement mm-hmm. around it so i can see the equal and opposite reaction to that but so like he's making documentary films because he's recognized that with a document a certain kind of documentary film it's like a container of truth mm-hmm. for that audience we can just because we disagree with it politically we can look at it and say this is nonsense but for someone who who is not informed and maybe is primed for the message because it comes with experts talking to you it comes with archival footage arranged in a certain kind of way it comes with graphics you then assume well this is the right narrative and what you just said about like the fracturing of the culture the emancipation movements all that stuff like adam curtis explores similar kinds of things in his films yeah but from the left and it just makes me wonder, God, maybe we should stop with this documentary stuff. <laughs> and, and I make documentaries, and yeah. but there is, you know, in the in the past maybe fifteen years, there's a way in which a, a certain strand of documentary have become kind of like, um, you know, feature length explainer columns. Don't know about this thing? Watch the documentary about it. It's going right. to tell you where to get your food from. Um, it's going to tell you what you know what's what's the deal with healthcare. And it's actually it's it's worrisome to see how easily 
it could be manipulated. You know, you have Bannon's Reagan movie, which says a certain kind of thing about Reagan and his politics and the history on Reagan. And Adam Curtis looks at the same histories in hypernormalization, comes to a completely different conclusion using sometimes even like basically the same sets of images. Right. Jeff, I'm really glad you actually you brought up Adam Curtis, because when I was watching these movies, like that's really I felt was like the closest analog to the style that he was trying to copy. And not only that, but like you said, they're actually even from completely different angles, like from going completely different sides, the same history and actually a lot of the same critique. Like we mm-hmm. talked to Adam Curtis on our podcast and like one of the, and you know, and one of the things he says in the end is that like all of his, mo- all of Adam Curtis's movies are really studies of like the failure of the left in the last latter half of the 20th century. And one of his big critiques is the hollowness of the, this kind of, freedom unmoored from purpose mm-hmm. and this kind of individualism as like the highest possible freedom or right. or goal and that people want and need to change the world and they need to be they need to feel a part of something bigger and that is basically some of this, this the same critique that Bannon offers i mean obviously like his comes from a very different place than than Curtis's or rather if you follow their logic it will take you to a very different destination sure, but like for instance like the his critique of like how Bannon's for instance, about how the hippie generation all became yuppies Mm -hmm. and like how you can actually make a line from Woodstock to the 1980s. And that's not wrong. Yeah. No, it's absolutely not. Or like, I mean... Patty Smith takes a beating in hypernormalization. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she sure does. Truly, yeah. uh, really unfairly. Yeah. But I mean, like, what was interesting, like, when you interviewed him at the end, you know, Adam Curtis says very plainly, like, I believe in big narratives and I don't think the left should be afraid of big narratives. Yeah. And like, to to truly enact change, you need to like, really revisualize a complete reimagining of society and not be afraid if you get hurt or anything is possible. But I mean, Adam Curtis's documentaries have meant a lot to me, but over the years, I've become increasingly uncomfortable with them because, like, partic- I think starting around, like, Bitter Lake, there are just some things that I know are factually wrong. And, like, even in hypernormalization, the way Henry Kissinger, or maybe it wasn't Bitter Lake, the way Henry Kissinger, it's like, oh, yeah, he was he was the basis for Dr. Strangelove. And it's like, that is fucking not true. That is absolutely <laughs> fucking not he true. He was one of them. I mean, it was based on a lot of people. No, like but Keller he wasn't. And, uh, but it, no, okay. I mean, but it's, I mean, here's the thing. With these movies... Sometimes if it sounds good, right, that's what matters most. Yeah, and it's like I'm gonna just sell it. But you got the rights to fucking Doctor Strangelove to show, like Peter Sellers doing his bit, and it's like <laughs> you couldn't check this very basic thing. Like Henry Kissinger was nobody when that movie was made. It's Von Braun. Like he's clearly, it's very clearly. But yet you get swept up in this moment, and then like you get to see how Henry Kissinger pulled these strings and completely fucked up the Middle East, and now we're in this unescapable hell mess because of him. And, and it, or even just like being like, this is the one person that right. is who to blame. Well, I mean, Jeff, I think that's to your point, like about why maybe we should ban documentaries because <laughs> th- this style of feel like th- this kind of montage mixed with interviews and narration is very, very seductive. Yeah. And obviously, Adam Curtis is a genius at it, and the sort of connections that he makes, absolutely, and the footage that he finds, yeah. and the kind of the the, the like the sort of the pairing of the two, I mean, works amazingly, and the, his use of music as well. You know, Bannon is doing the same thing, but it's all, I mean, it's just fucking terrible. Like, the, yeah. his use of, like, the stock footage I found in this movie, like you said, it's relentless, and it's either 
incredibly didactic mm-hmm. or just like completely random. Like I yeah. have no idea <laughs> why no, it's there whatsoever. There's no middle ground. They'll be like, like <laughs> you know, a big government just isn't responding to the needs of the people. And then they'll be like, you know, old movies of like the slaves building the yes, pyramids or something. Which is so fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, but then like, and I'm like, oh, okay, I get it. And then like someone will be like, you know, they'll be talking about, you know, the bailout or whatever, and it'll just be like a footage of like a kid running around a park or something. Yeah. Like, and he, and just like, did you he, see the T-Rexes? Yes, the T-Rex. Yeah. I mean, that yeah. that yeah. to me is, the, is one of the most, that and um, the T-Rexes baffle a lot. And then there's a <laughs> shot that pops up, and I think in all of the, the Tea Party trilogy films, which I, um, are Occupy Unmasked, um, Fire from the Heartland, and um, Battle for America, there's this shot that shows up in three of the movies where it's a guy, it's a white guy in like a button down shirt and khakis, and he just has his head in a wall of ivy. <laughs> <laughs> and it just crops up um, basically whenever, you know, coming back to this idea that, of um, how the government is sort of like ignoring um, the problems and is sticking its head in the sand. It just cuts to this wall of ivy with this guy with his head yeah. in it. And this is, you know, this is the this is the kind of visual matches that he's that he's making, or the yeah. just the random shots of um, white people arguing in the street. Yes, <laughs> like there'll be like a woman and a man just kind of like yelling at each They're other. So mad at Obama, <laughs> that uppity Obama, <laughs> they can't handle it. But like, but like, there's one there's one sequence of Battle for America that just was like Ed Wood. It totally reminded me of Ed Wood because it's like there's buffaloes stampeding across the plain, and then it goes to. The running of the bulls. Yes, the buffaloes. Yeah. And then it's like people are getting gored and you hear the screams like they turned up the screams. They, they... And then it's a bullfight gone wrong. And then it goes back to like cattle stampeding. And it's like, you can't even keep the same fucking animal yeah. through this whole thing. It's, uh, it's footage of a, of a bison stampeding. Yes. And, and then it cuts to Dick Morris and he's going, home, I have no home. <laughs> well, By the way, same. just as a slight digression, man, he leans like in, in, in at least for Battle for America. He leans on Dick Morris heavily, so hard. And I'm like, why would you make Dick Morris be like your main talk? A guy who is a charisma black hole, <laughs> whose voice is like a war crime. <laughs> Listening to him talk about he's like the Obama administration. It's the most incompetent I've ever seen. And that is also funny because even if you believe everything they say about Obama. Every single thing they say applies tenfold to Donald Trump. Oh, totally. Just about like, this guy's an amateur. He's over his head. Mm-hmm. They're just so arrogant and incompetent. And I'm yeah. just like, wow, it's this like, is this is, like, <laughs> this is great. <laughs> but it made me realize something like like seeing watching these films, seeing the election of Donald Trump. I was like, oh, my God, like, you know, maybe the essential division in American society right now isn't class. It's about like ignorance levels. Because Donald Trump, he speaks to people, you know, you look at that guy and you're like, he's some sort of, maybe he's a billionaire, maybe he's a millionaire. We have no idea, but he's raised in, with the most extreme kind of privilege that you can possibly have access to. He like travels the world. He's just like, you know, he lives in the gold plated buildings. It's ridiculous. How does he go and talk to somebody in, you know, quote unquote, well, yeah, America? Because yeah, they think exactly the same way. Well, exactly. And I think yeah. that comes to like a level, like something to do with intellectual curiosity, lack of intellectual curiosity, prejudice, all these sorts of things. And it's like, it's like, wow, that extends across class. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, yeah, like that's like the, you know, the, the liberal media thing to be like, you know, what does this billionaire have in common with the lives of, you know, all these regular people who love him? And I'm like, well, shit, they watch all the same TV shows. They (laughs) eat at McDonald's. I mean, it's not that hard to figure out. Oh, Violet, I wanted to to, to talk about these movies. Like uh, you you mentioned it before we started recording. I think one of the reasons you uh, reached out for me was, uh, the, the work I've done on the Dinesh D'Souza's movies. Yes. I haven't seen any of those. Okay. Well, uh, I gotta say, 
Dinesh's movies are a million times more entertaining than Steve Bannon's. <laughs> and like just to watch as like it has the mystery science theater effect. We right. we watched it with Bill Corbett. Yes. You know, that was our that was our thing. And it was great for that because Dinesh is copying Michael Moore's style. Yes. Right? And, and because of that, like they're way funner to watch because he puts himself front and center. Oh, so he's in the film. Oh yeah, he's in every scene of the movie, oh, basically. Yeah. Like, and you know, and he's, it's structured around his experience going to prison, and he makes it seem like again. I haven't actually seen this. I just listened. It's to it's, it's, it's a lot, like in, in all of his movies, like in like the big one, which was like 2016, Obama's America, and then when we watched, which was Hillary's America, the follow up. <laughs> like it's definitely like he he's copying Michael Moore in these kind of like agitprop in that like he has all of these idiotic reenactments of history yes. and like fake scenes of him like self talking to people but like he's front and center and he's like he's creating these little scenes and like pranks or like goofs or whatever and like because like because it, it's so so funny to watch it's so bad but like it's it, the comedy material there is so much more fertile than these Steve Bannon movies which like I said are just like like a multi-level marketing presentation like and then just like people on a white background just these prissy gargoyles mm -hmm. just like you know <laughs> lecturing you for an hour and a half it's uh yeah yeah actually just, violet i've reached i think i've discovered the limits of what i'll do for podcast <laughs> content is which is watching these movies <laughs> that's totally fair it was not an easy ask i understand and i appreciate that you tried <laughs> um, i'm a different person having watched all oh all, yeah all nine of them yeah i mean to the point i even can like draw like distinctions in my mind about them and you know oh, totally. think about them in kind of an auteurist sense you know, I've, I've, I found myself in a conversation referring to like the historical films to somebody and I was like, you know, <laughs> meaning like in the Reagan movie, the Palin movie and the Torchbearer film. Right. Um, and I'm like, what am I talking about? This is all nonsense. <laughs> there is not thought behind any of this. Stuff. No, but they kind of remap your brain because you are like being exposed to not just this intense pacing and this sort of bozo logic, but also this amount of like clip art. And it's mm. like, you have to, what struck me during um, uh, Fire in the Heartland was just like how f they visually fetishizing the constitution. Mm -hmm. And it's like this, this feather laid across this reproduction of the constitution as if it was, you know, it was like freshly written and like fetishizing it and, and like, just like the camera's just like caressing it. Like it's, and it's like weird. And then one of the women's talking about like, oh yeah, people carry the constitution around with them in their pockets, you know, on their smartphones, all they read, they read it all the time. And like, it's, it's being treated like the Bible mm -hmm. in this, and then they literally compare it to the Bible by saying like, you know, the constitution just tells us what God gave us. Yeah, I know. Well, God, God gave us the Bible and the constitution. Exactly. Yeah. And then also repeating these images of, um, men who might be the founding fathers sort of milling around this weird uh, it looks like office. a draw, yeah, a like a table. They're and, just sort yeah, of walking around this room with a bunch of wooden chairs like and tables powdered wigs. Yeah, and wigs. <laughs> yeah. Like so, like for instance, like B Bannon will use like you know incredibly bad stock footage of people you think might be the founding fathers wearing <laughs> wigs or something. Yes. Dinesh D'Souza will actually stage a scene of like signing yes. the constitution but it's clearly like some country club's lunchroom and like <laughs> d-level uh, you know extras uh <laughs> pretending to be john adams or something like that right but as you pointed out the clan outfits are very accurate yeah that is that was another hilarious part of <clears throat> hillary's america is that uh everything was so shitty and low budget except for those clan costumes which looked fantastic <laughs> And had all the right insignias and yeah. stripes, and they even had the red, you know, Grand Wizard one. I mean, some, at some point, you do need to get the details right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. In, these, in these historical recreations. Yeah. 
how many films has D'Souza made? I've kind of like I've known him to be out there. I've seen him on television, but I've never watched any. Well, of he had things. a big, big hit with the 2016 Obama's America, and I think since then he's made two or three others. Like there's one called America: Imagine a World Without Her. <laughs> then there was the Hillary's America movie. And I think maybe there's one other, mm-hmm. but like I think he's found like now a sort of a second career as a, as a filmmaker. <sighs> well, I was um, a film that I watched to sort of help me as a point of comparison, and because you had seen the D'Souzas, mm-hmm. I went into the world of Alex Jones, and oh. I watched 2007's Endgame, which is the 11th documentary that he's directed. So try and wrap your mind around that. This is wait, a- Alex Jones has made 11 documentaries. Oh, no, yeah. no, no, no. He's waiting more after yeah. that. Wait, what? This is from 2007. So 10 years ago. At 10 years ago, he had made 11 movies. So wrap your mind around that. Somehow I missed, I missed this entirely. Okay, but here's the thing. Again, compared to Steve Bannon, these are really good. Endgame, it's so this one is sort of focused. This is not about crisis actors. Alex Jones is this guy who's been actually in two Richard Linklater movies, Waking Life and A Scanner Darkly. <laughs> yeah, they were friends in Austin. Like yeah. he was like very much on the scene in, uh, in the 90s. Yeah, and it's like, here's the thing because like the part in Waking Life that Alex Jones is in, he's the guy, he's animated as this guy who's driving around and has like a bullhorn attached to his car. And what he says, you're like, you can look it up on YouTube. It's like, Oh yeah, I could see that. No, I t- again, I totally agree with what you're saying. But now in 2017, you know, Alex Jones, you know, originally started off in Austin, now has grown to this huge sort of multimedia empire of Infowars, and he like he he's talking he's talking about crisis actors, saying that you know these school shootings are fake, the Boston bombing is fake, and you know they're putting stuff in the water to make the frogs gay. Like I like I could go through all of the. Money. Well, the thing about Alex Jones now that Trump is president is that he's just like the real tragedy is that he's just become a boring Republican. Yes, it's so sad. <laughs> you know, because like he used to be a guy who like literally thinks that like you know the global elites meet to like have child sacrifices, and yes. fake nine eleven, and like now your biggest concern is that we all just respect the police who serve them. <laughs> I know it's sad because like that's the thing is like Endgame Endgame is all about the Bilderberg group it sort of starts off like an episode of Ancient Aliens where he's going through the history and like (laughs) some of the footage is like turned green and it's like you know make it more nefarious or some shit and then like he gets into you know he sort of traces down through the history and be like okay so this is what the globalists want to do they want to get rid of countries and they just want to fuse everything together what is so bad with that? I don't know. Anyway, um, but uh, it ultimately it results in taking away our freedoms and our land. And Actually, like ultima- ultimately it results in culling about 75% of the Earth's human population. <laughs> That is actually, that's the New World Orders. That is the end game, actually, Violet. So if you don't have a problem with that, that's fine. But uh, I know I do. I mean, I just miss the days when I used to sacrifice children and people would get upset about it. No, it's very, very antiquated. But the thing that I found about Endgame, so there is sort of like the standard conspiracy shit. But then he goes, he actually goes to where they're having the Bilderberg group meeting in Ottawa. And he does like, old school like investigative journalism and then he's like yelling at them and he's like zooming in on who's getting out of these limos and being like that's a queen of england that's a queen of england and it's like it's clearly <laughs> fucking not the queen of england <laughs> and then it's like oh that's ahmed shalabi that means they're gonna bomb iran and he's like going on and like he's like yelling at the cars and he's like he has a bull he's like a megaphone and he's like yelling at the building and it's if you believe this shit that is so moving it's like it's like old school it's like a network where he it's like I'm mad as hell. I'm not gonna like, t- like it's so compelling. 
but then it gets boring because it's like all of his documentaries are like two and a half hours long. Yeah, I mean the band of films get boring after like f- the first five, five minutes. minutes. Like, oh my god, <laughs> I, mean, I was like, ready to jump out of a window. And you realize, I mean, it's like you know, I said at the beginning, it's like this guy's clearly a, a clown and a bozo of certain of certain order. And you know, I know a lot of really smart people who make not good films. Yeah, but it takes like a certain kind of careless, uncaring, and stupid to make movies like this and yeah. just sort of like push them out into the world with this kind of frequency. I mean, like watching Occupy Unmasked, uh, did either of you guys see that I one? I didn't no, see that one, that, no. I couldn't watch it. It like, yeah. made me too upset. I mean, that was... That, uh, that was just like Andrew Breitbart going around going, stop raping people! <laughs> it really, it really you is can that. See, like, you can see like the, the vein working it up and into his head. <laughs> and it, they have that, and yeah. that, that's amazing. But even better are the parts that you can recognize as sort of like... So Andrew Breitbart is the main kind of talking head ranter mm-hmm. in yeah. that film, but they don't put him up against any sort of nice background. He's clearly in the alley outside the editing suite in Los Angeles, <laughs> and he's, he's wearing like three different outfits and in slightly different settings and one time he's wearing like sweating through all of them well, exactly he's like wearing a dark t-shirt standing in front of a dumpster and like there's spit covering his like his oh, both of his lips and he's screaming and you realize and i you know and i thought about this I was like why would you do this like why would you present this man in this way i was like oh my god you were in the edit five feet away and you realize we need andrew breitbart to say this better so we're just gonna run out back into the alleyway and shoot it real quick and pop it into the cut yeah and it's this kind of like rapid response filmmaking that you know the left is super guilty of as well totally. um, that makes me nervous about can we continue to do documentary in the way we've been doing it right well you know like you said uh like they said conservatism uh is the new punk and by that i mean uh not very good and pretty shittily done <laughs> and they've only got two chords <laughs> yeah, yeah. violet i wanted to uh talk a bit about um like you mentioned uh like when we were talking about adam curtis before and these uh like big narratives mm-hmm. that like that is really like what moves people and any successful political movement sort of like needs a big story to tell mm-hmm. what i found actually like not just boring but like the parts of this movie that i saw that i i was actually i thought were genuinely disturbing and what i think could fairly be called fascist yeah. like i mean bannon is that word is bandied about a lot talking right. about steve bannon but there is an element to one of these movies, uh, Generation Zero, that does lay out this kind of grand historical narrative mm-hmm. that I think is worth bringing up. And Bannon has talked about this a lot in interviews. This is sort of like his hobby horse. And what it is, he's very into this book called The Fourth Turning. Hmm. And he's brought it up before. It's written by two guys. Their names are Neil Howe and William Strauss. I think both of them are featured in Generation Zero mm-hmm. as talking heads. And now neither of them are professional historians. I think one is an engineer and the other was like a like commercial copywriter. I'm, I'm not I'm not sure, but they're not they're not historians. And like, okay, this is a book of completely spurious pseudo history that mm-hmm. essentially posits the idea that history is seasonal and sort of passes through these predictable stages of development, each lasting about twenty years, about a, each lasting about a generation, mm-hmm. and that history goes through all of these cycles, and that we're now, and the most dramatic of which is always the fourth turning, and he and and the, and the generation zero, they begin with like the financial crisis of two thousand eight as being like the inaugural event of this fourth turning that we're all living in now. And they say, you know, America's gone through this, you know, three times before. You know, Mm -hmm. the first was the American Revolution. The second was the Civil War. And the third was the Great Depression and World War II. And then we're now entering into this fourth fourth turning. And like, okay, you know, this is this like bullshit pseudo history that like, you know, the history goes according to patterns and we're just, it's predictable and we're living through it again. What's disturbing 
is that they, they really make the case that like the fourth turning is like a time of terrible tribulation and global war, mm. and, but, but that that is necessary and in fact desirable to recreate America because like, you know, in each of these cycles, we go from being conservative and sort of, you know, very staid and austere and then that creates prosperity, but that prosperity creates decadence leisure and decadence and, and like, yeah, and that like this is like Rome and that we're now in this terrible fourth turning now where like, you know, we've abandoned our belief in authority and tradition and we're going to reap the whirlwind. But as these guys, that these two historians say that like, this is a good thing. And this is what really disturbs me about like Steve Bannon being on like the National Security Council, for instance, is because... Yeah. By his lights, another World War II style event would be a good and necessary thing. Right. Or not only that, but an inevitable thing. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that we should walk towards it. Yeah. Exactly. And, and, like, and, and one of the authors says, um, you know, World War II gave us, you know, it allowed us to redefine our relationship to technology. And then they literally had a stock footage of an A-bomb going off. It was like this is really dark. Yeah, Yeah. it the worldview is. I mean, the turning stuff is is super. It's super scary. And if you watch the Reagan film, you get the sense of this guy making it. I mean, as much as you can like learn something about the author of a movie from watching the movie itself. But I, I just get the sense of, you know, he was born too late to be in a real war, like a quote unquote real war. Right. And, but he joined the Navy and he was in the Navy in a fairly boring time, like the late Mm seventies and early eighties. And as somebody who's obsessed with like, you know, or allegedly obsessed with like military strategy and wars, you know, I could see this feeling of like, damn, I missed it. I missed all the good stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's that Hemingway. I joined up to fight Franco. Exactly. And so like, you know, couple that with this turning business and you have the sense of Steve Bannon as seeing himself as this, this actor on a stage who needs to create, you know, who's creating the, the potential catastrophe so that way he can be like the main actor in it. Right, because he knows how to handle it. Right, and so that's that's the the most worrisome thing. Yeah, no, it's a huge him, fucking for sure. problem. <laughs> Luckily, I think he's a, a clown again, and it, you know, <laughs> this hopefully will not come to pass. Um, anything's on the table. Do you think we've given these more attention than the people who actually? Well, the there, there is audience. one guy, and I, I forget his name, but I, his name kept coming up in the credits of all these films, and he was the one who shot and edited most of these things right. himself. And I forget his name, um, but he's some kind of like um, videographer based in D.C. I'm mm-hmm. sure he's conservative. You know, so he's probably the one in the editing room who's just kind of like pulling all this crap together, and Bannon is like looking at him and being like, yeah, sure, it's great, get it out the door. Um, you know, in as much as there is any sort of like, you know, real directorial voice. Actually, Bannon's saying, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it looks great, do it, do it. <laughs> Yeah, you mentioned the uh, relentless energy and pacing of these movies. They're really kinetic. Um, Yeah, they they just, they're very propulsive. Yeah, I mean, I guess like, again, to sort of agree with or find yourself, um, you know, nodding along to these movies, like really depends on a just completely apocalyptic view of both the world and contemporary American culture. Like not that just like things kind of suck or that, you know, uh, times are tough for a lot of people for a lot of reasons, but like an actual belief in like real global catastrophe and civilizational decline that like that you know obama saying oh let me be clear romero the constitution <laughs> is not a perfect document it like is like a is augurs like the complete collapse of society yes. you know and or, or that like you know that the 60s really ruined everything and yeah you know there was there's one there's one moment in it where they're talking to uh heather mcdonald of the manhattan institute and she's another person who like has 
respect or is considered I don't know fucking know why she's <laughs> awful but like she says like when they're talking about the 60s she's like you know the youth culture of the 60s you know they were you know just narcissistic and they thought they were the only generation that had any moral sense and they were responding to what they thought were the injustices of the time and it was just sort of like not that they were responding to the Vietnam War or the civil rights movement. It was like that they were that this was an illusion. Right. You know, and like you can something. be as critical as you want of the new left and like the sixties counterculture, which I think we should be. Yeah. But like the Vietnam War and the Civil Rights Movement were a big fucking it's not like they did it just like they made that up or whatever. And if you're right. Heather McDonald, why not just defend the Vietnam War if you want? Yeah. But and she's I think, not gonna do that. No, or defend, you know, defend segregation. segregation. Yeah. 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 But you, they can't win on the merits of the arguments. No. And watching Fire from the Heartland again, you know, hearing everybody all this talk about how um you know, the government just wants to like take over and do and create the welfare state and make you dependent. And I just I kept wondering, well, like, all right, well, what's the government's end game then? Like, why does it want to do that? Like, what's the point? Nobody ever well, the conservatives take away are like, you know, liberty and entrepreneurship. But what's it going to do with it? That's the thing. Like, con- make us just like compliant, you know, uh, servants of the of the you know Moloch or whatever. I mean, it's it's totally <laughs> true, and I know they believe that. But I just want to I want to take them and shake them, and be like, all right, well, to what end? Like, right. who does that serve? Like, I know what your policies serve i know who those serve and what's going to happen but like what do you like and that's why i'm afraid of them but like why are you afraid of these other things like why are you afraid of um somebody who wants to like make the environment cleaner and you know give more people health because that's a fiction and allow more people to <laughs> well, because, vote like i mean yeah. they think like like environmentalism or like they, they just think like well that's taking money away from me and and small businesses and entrepreneurs and like like it's just like a different conception of what freedom and, and liberty is I think I know, but it's so empty when they talk about it I think I mean but I'm sure they would probably hear me talk about right freedom and I mean liberty well it sounds empty to and, me because I look at every one of these talking heads and I can just basically if you like wrapped their head I could hear like it echo around inside their <laughs> the vacuum of their soul <laughs> but well the thing I mean going back to what you were saying earlier about this you know that we are in end times literally it sort of comes back to me for how much in these, well, the Citizens United logo, deconstructing the very little original footage we have that, or the originality that Steve Bannon puts into his documentaries. What is the Citizens United logo? It's like the old school countdown, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. It's this thing that does not exist anymore. This is all digital filmmaking, like ruthlessly, relentlessly so. And it's like, it's calling back to things that people who are probably very old remember. Mm-hmm. And like being like, it, it's this very, like using these very retro things and being like, you remember this? It's good that you remember this. You can trust us because we're using, like again and again going like fetishizing the constitution, fetishizing images of, guys in fucking powdered wigs like whatever whatever yeah. like these images don't necessarily mean anything except for that they're old and therefore valuable yeah i mean but it's the, it's the same almost the same kind of image set that you can find like a michael bay movie exactly. i mean there are as many american flags in these films as there are in like transformers 4 you know because right. when in doubt cut to an american flag and there's maybe like a soldier in the background or something it's the same it's the same appeal mm-hmm. well unfortunately we'll have to end there but before we close it would be great to go around as we always do and say a film that we saw recently that we liked. I can go first. You have time to think. You know, I was watching all these movies where all these white people are really mad that the government is doing them injustice, <laughs> um, which to a certain extent is true. To a certain extent, you're not you're really not being ter- tyrannized by the government, um, even though that's, you know, it's a legitimate fear. Maybe not really. So I watched Gregory Nava's El Norte which is of just a wonderful film about this 
these this brother and sister from a small village in Guatemala who basically, you know, a uh, death squad runs through and like they're trying to they take over the land and they kill a bunch of their fellow villagers so the brother and sister go up through mexico into the united states and just like at every turn it's i mean it's a beautifully shot film but it's like very like it just shows how arduous that journey is for someone and that to undertake it it is an absolutely very serious thing and it's not something to be undertaken lightly they're besieged by nature by other people like every step of the journey is hard but there is one funny part that i i feel i loved when they get apprehended by these i guess border agents police guys and they give them a you know in america and they get them a spanish translator and because they're very afraid of being sent back to guatemala basically to die they keep pretending to be mexican and to, in order to pretend to be mexican they just the the guy just says like chingong which is like fuck or like a bunch like every sentence he's like oh yeah these these fucking these fucking washcloths these fucking floors like he just keeps saying it and so like the translator is like oh my god he's like i'm from fucking michoacan man fuck and he's like okay okay send them back send them, get these people out of here so even uh yeah even in a very dark film like that still a little humor so look on the bright side of life people it's not the end times unless you want it to be so that was a good movie that portrayed like the type of people that we need to protect ourselves from exactly yeah make that wall as high as you need to so high (laughs) yeah um a movie that i saw recently that i enjoyed a great deal was billy wilder's uh oscar winning the lost weekend starring ray milland oh i love that movie. i had uh never seen it before but I, I, I loved it, and I thought it was, uh, even of the time, still a very harrowing portrayal of alcoholism. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, I think it's the, uh, the, the only movie that Charles Bukowski said uh, got it right mm-hmm. about being a drunk. Milland is amazing in it, yes. and uh, it's, it's, it's a great movie. Yeah, the funny thing about that movie is it ends on an upbeat note, but the actual story the actual oh it's so brutal yeah (laughs) the ending of that is like whoa yeah but the but the film is like amazing and i love ray milan he just has something about degenerate quietly degenerate about his eyes yeah really sells it but anyway jeff um i yesterday saw a great first feature called the human search oh yes which played at the new york film festival last year and is opening in new york in a couple of weeks and it is a kind of you know I hate that word unclassifiable in a way because, you know, it suggests that we can't really talk about it, but it tells four different stories. One of a kind of like underemployed rentish boy in Argentina, some guys in Africa, an anthill and some work factory workers in the Philippines who make computers. And it's maybe it's about all of their struggle to get on the Internet. I'm not totally sure, but it's a very, very strange and intriguing film that, you know, I I left and I was sort of like, I don't know exactly what that was, but I feel I'm going to be turning it over for a really long time and it's super assured just to be able to do that to go from a guy taking a leak on an anthill into the anthill for a good 15-20 minutes and follow the <laughs> ants around as they're doing their thing and to make that comparison to you know the struggles of the rest of the human characters in the film not be like horrible student film bullshit yeah. um, is pretty amazing no definitely agree well thank you both for coming this was excellent thanks for having thank us fantastic <laughs> You've been listening to the Film Comet Podcast, produced by Violet Luca and Nicholas Rapold, and edited by Michael Odmark. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Film Comet is a bi-monthly magazine published by the Film Society of Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comet has featured in-depth reviews, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, art house, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. 
Visit us online at filmcomet.com slash subscribe to purchase a digital or print subscription to the magazine. Film Comet, at the heart of film culture for over 50 years.